Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy. On this episode, Dr. Dirk Arts, founder and CEO of the cloud-based clinical data management platform Castor, discusses why the study data tabulation model, or SDTM, doesn't fit the way clinical data is being collected, generated, or presented to regulatory agencies for trial approval. Thank you so much for being here, Dirk, and welcome. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm really excited to, uh, to speak to you about this uh, important topic. Why do you believe that STTM is no longer serving regulatory trial submissions? It certainly still is, um, but you know, it's not the right way to think about the future of, uh, of clinical trial submissions. And with the pandemic, that future is basically now. So trials have been getting, been getting a lot more complex, a lot more patient-focused and patient-centric, meaning we're capturing data from many different sources, data that is much more representative of an actual patient life, meaning it's more continuous uh, and richer. And the, uh, the SCTM format is ultimately a, a tabular format that is quite uh, simple and quite limiting. And so, um, you know, the more modern our trials get and the more data intense they get, the more information we lose with the transformation to, to something like STTM. And so I feel with every day that goes by, this format becomes uh, less ideal to, to represent modern trials. And it loses out on really understanding the impact drugs and devices may have on, on a patient's life. And we're actually capturing that in the trial. So be ways to not look at that in an evaluation. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your familiarity with STTM? My name is Derek Arts, and I'm the, the CEO and founder of Gaster. Gaster is a, um, a clinical trial platform that's used globally to run modern clinical trials. My background is a, as a medical doctor and PhD. The, during my PhD, I, I also trained to be an epidemiologist. So uh, I spent a lot of time around real-world data and, and the, the power of, of, of real-world evidence and also just understanding how research ultimately, after a long process, determines how patients get treated. And that's, that also gave me insight in, into the many things that are, well, broken or, or at least not, not as effective as they can be. Uh, so we see a lot of other industries making huge advances through technology. And our, our industry of, of uh, you know, life sciences, medicine, um, evidence-based medicine is really not moving that fast when it comes to really making changes that impact the average human being. And so I've always had a big interest in thinking, how can technology make evidence-based medicine better? How can technology increase the human health span, right? So the number of years lived. And how can we ultimately get a much better understanding of, of how new interventions, drugs, medical devices impact, uh, impact human life in, in, in the ways that actually matter, right, on a day-to-day basis. And part of that is, you know, our platform allows for, for patient-centric trials that are a lot richer in data, where we capture data from the patient directly from a wearable, maybe, um, we also know that it's really hard to express that into, into today's formats that are being submitted to the FDA. And so the reason for this conversation is to, to stimulate thinking on what would the future look like when we're designing more and more complex trials with richer and continuous data that better captures what is happening in human life. How do we make sure that makes its way into um, you know, the approval process ultimately, because it is an important part of that. So I'm just really excited about this topic because I think it can be a really important driver of, of maximizing the impact of all this research we're doing on, on human life. And, and I think that's what we all should be striving for. What are the types of data that are being captured now in clinical trials 
that aren't being accurately represented or contextualized in SDTM. Yeah, I think, for example, you know, things like continuous uh, heart rate data, but uh, but I think more importantly, continuous sleep data, for example, I think there would be very little discussion on the on, on the topic of you know is sleep data important for, for, for is sleep important for someone and what is the impact of sleep on someone's life? Something you would have, want to look at it on, on a continuous basis, right? It's it's you cannot easily capture that in a, in, a, in a single number or a few numbers. And um, you know, as far as I know, that that's not the, the, the type of data that can be easily captured or expressed in the SCTM format, which means that um, we may have important data that almost any wearable captures. We may not be incorporating that effectively into the evaluation of a new drug, which would which could result in, in a drug that otherwise performs well ending up on the market that ultimately means people are losing hours and hours of sleep. And, and in the end, you know, once they've figured out that it's the result from that drug, then having to switch to something else, which obviously which is a huge burden on, on patients and, and actually on society because, you know, not sleeping obviously doesn't increase productivity. So that's just, you know, one example. I think that's, uh, that's relevant. Is it that with an SCTM model, certain types of data that might have value are not being captured correctly and in context, or they're not being captured at all? The biggest challenge is really the continuous nature of the data. There's obviously studies where sleep is the primary endpoint, so there's definitely a way to express uh, sleep quality to an extent uh, in SCTM. But I think in almost any study, even where, if it's not a primary endpoint, it's important to, to have that data be incorporated and in a more continuous basis. I think it's really the continuous nature of the data and the complexity and the relation of that data to other data points that, that we're losing out on. Um, so I think we could just get a lot more information from the original raw data than that we're getting out of it in, in the SCTM format. What would need to be changed or evolved in the SDTM format in order to achieve a more nuanced representation of a clinical trial? The biggest step forward would be to really seriously consider letting go of this basic tabular format, or at least allowing other submission formats that, that can capture more uh, richer continuous data and maintain the relationship between uh, data points more effectively. So there is formats like RDF, uh, for example, that can capture uh, the relationship between uh, data points uh, and allows a much broader range of, of data sets. Like right now in SCTM, there has to be a concept, of course, for, for, for any data that you put in there, but there may not always you know, be one available for, uh, for a data point that's captured in the study. So I think a format that offers more flexibility, that would be a big step forward. Obviously, the downside and why the FDA is probably hesitant to, to adopt this. Is, is, it's harder to analyze, and you need to really provide additional training to people to, to understand and interpret this data, and it may become more ambiguous. Right? So I'm not saying we have a ready-to-go solution for this problem, but it should definitely be more extensively explored, in my opinion. What would a system like RDF offer that SDTM cannot the, um, the ability to really capture the relationship between data points and just allowing a lot more flexibility in, in the format. So you can have a mix of you know, single observations and, and, and continuous data, uh, which is much harder to, uh, to reflect in, uh, in SDTM, for example, because that is just ultimately an Excel file. You know, then the question becomes, well, what is the context here, right? So this is in the context of you know, sleeping or exercising or diving. Unlikely that last one, but I think that's a good example of where 
it's if you lose the context and you lose that understanding of when and how was this measured under what condition, uh, it becomes much harder to interpret. And we all know there is always context to like a saturation measure or a heart rate measure. But again, not something that STDM would easily allow you to express. And so then how how does one interpret that? Uh, that becomes quite difficult. And I think in REF, something like that would, would definitely be possible to give a lot more context to, to the data and not um, split it out into a specific domain in an arbitrary way. With the way that data is being currently captured and then being understood and processed, what are we missing out on if we do not make this shift? I think for a long time, we've seen a movement towards a more real-world approach to evaluating you know, drugs and devices. So a lot more focus on quality of life, for example, uh, and just a lot more focus on, on real-world evidence and, and pragmatic trials that aren't as rigorous and aren't as artificial in the end. And so I think in the same vein, here we should also be seeing, okay, how, how do we make it possible for these agencies to to really get a much more pragmatic real-world view of um, how, how uh, you know, a drug or device is impacting patient lives. So I think we're really missing out on a much more holistic view on the impact on the human being as such, as opposed to just the hard endpoints, which is obviously also very important, right? And I think the system works for the most important elements, for example, safety of a drug. But I think there's much more. Like ultimately safety is one thing, but we want to know does this drug really work? And does it work in a way that, that impacts human life in a positive way, not just a single hard endpoint? Because that's just not how life, fun, how, how, how life works, right? And that's, I think, a, a critical opportunity we're missing out on. In the case where something like quality of life in terms of, for example, sleep is included, how would that be measured against or with something like overall effectiveness of the drug? We've seen quite a few uh, occasions of a drug being you know, effective for the specific endpoint, but being completely unusable as a drug because it just affects quality of life in, in a real way. I think there's, uh, uh, there's many, example, many, many examples of that. And I think that is uh, the, the key point here. Uh, why would you go through all this trouble to, to get a drug approved and, and on the market for, for it to, to not work? Not because it, the drug itself doesn't work for that specific outcome, but in the end, it's just an unusable drug. Uh, I think that is a key element that we shouldn't forget. Uh, obviously, when you know, there's clear severe side effects that will get picked up as part of uh, as part of safety, but I think that's much more of these these subtle things that have a, a very big impact on do patients continue to use the drug, right? So it's not not to say that it won't work. It's just are they going to be uh, are they going to adhere to uh, to taking their medication on a day to day basis? Because if they start noticing a pattern of you know, somehow their daily life being disrupted. There's a very like big, big chance that they at some point will say, no, I'm just not using this drug anymore. I, I don't feel well. I don't sleep well. I can't really put my finger on it. Um, but it's, it's like the, the problem that it's creating is bigger than the problem that it's solving. Uh, and that's obviously something we're trying to avoid. What would be the next steps to get from point A to point B? What is this really important is that all sides of the pond, so you know, vendors of, of technology like Castor, uh, the sponsors uh, of the trials, pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies, uh, but also the regulators acknowledge that we at some point need to make progress here. Like we can't pretend that this format is going to make sense for the next 30 years or more. And so with that, all making small commitments. So vendors thinking about how can we do this? So Castor allows for an RDF distribution to be defined as an output from its platform. 
obviously almost everybody uses the, the, the tabular format because that's what they, they need to get to the FDA. But we have the option to, to do that because it's uh, we are trying to push the envelope. So now if we have a, um, a sponsor on our platform who's excited about that and, and actually wants to put in the extra work to be able to produce an RDF distribution that is much richer, uh, you know, then we're two thirds of the way there. Now, finally, if then there's a special workgroup, for example, um, at the FDA that is willing to investigate, hey, what additional information that is relevant could we glean from this richer data set in addition to the SATM format? I think that would be an extremely interesting project. And I think we should be doing you know, more of those. Like if you could get even one or 2% of the trials to submit these richer data formats and we would be able to run an actual study on, hey, we just analyze the SCTM files and the normal submission files. And now we also analyze these richer files and we look at so the, the relationships between data points. And uh, we take a little bit more time to, um, to, to assess that. And, and is there a difference? Did we find anything different? You know, there is a chance that in the end, it doesn't make a difference, right? That is possible. I think it's unlikely, but it's possible. And I think that's the, the first step we should, we should take because we shouldn't introduce a richer, more complex file format data model to just for the sake of it, right? Because, because we think it's important. I think we need to prove that it's important. I think we need to prove that it makes a difference. Let's, that, let's put a research hat on and, and see if we can take actual trials, you know, express them in this richer format, make sure that obviously there is something there, right? Like if we're just going to do a very boring old school trial, then it won't work. But let's assume this is a data rich trial where we incorporate wearable data. We give this you know, format to the FDA ultimately as a, let's say, a additional submission file. Um, and they look through it and then they hopefully will be able to report what they find and or maybe we can do it together as a work group like there's a lot of initiatives going on around this topic so plenty of people willing to get involved and then hopefully what we'll find once we've rigorous, rigorously studied that is that we can actually do better in terms of understanding on how this drug will impact a human life on a day-to-day basis when you use it for for an extended period of time and i think that would be a great win do you have any sense of the FDA or other regulatory agencies' willingness to move in this direction? You know, I think the FDA, FDA is doing an incredible job just keeping up with, with demand. Their biggest priority is just meeting their core deliverables uh, in, a, in a timely fashion. And uh, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. It's, 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 a, it's not an easy job. But I do think there are pockets in the FDA that are interested in these new methodologies. It's usually, I think, a few individuals who are tasked with these types of uh, activities, but they're there. And I think that gives us a good foundation to, uh, to work off. But my current understanding is that there's not big working groups you know, solving this problem right now. Uh, but, and, and, and that's okay. And that's completely understandable. And let's see how we can slowly get some more capacity in place to, to think about these things. And on the sponsor side, does this require more effort? I think um, there's this, this general concept that it's a lot easier to generate data than I think is to analyze it. I think that's uh, one of the problems we, uh, uh, we often face. So um, it's not really that hard to, to um, send everybody a wearable and to just you know, store terabytes of, of sensor data from that wearable or even have people bring their own wearable, right? Like the one I'm, I'm always wearing. I have 10 years of data on myself. You know, it would probably take me half an hour to extract it and submit that, you know, alongside, um, you know, the EPRO data that I have. 
Um, so I think generating more data isn't really difficult um, and, and technologies support that already. What is difficult is trying to make sense of it in real time as the trial is going on, right? So that is another like whole sort of rabbit hole we could go into, but we do need to make sure that technology helps the people running these trials and monitoring these trials to make sense of all this initial data coming in, right? That's one of the big challenges of more decentralized trials that are data richer. Um, so generating the data is not that hard, but then monitoring it in real time and making sure the quality is okay and that we're still adhering to protocol, that is definitely uh, more difficult. But I think the biggest difficulty is ultimately, okay, how do I make sense of this? Like, what is what is the plan? And so I think there needs to be a plan, right? There needs to be a plan for what do we want, what are we planning to do with these data um, so that the FDA can also then take that into account when looking at it. But I do feel um, usually putting all these uh, data points together and, and understanding them in context and using newer tools, like not your traditional uh, SOS or SPSS to, to analyze the data, that's probably going to be the, the highest uh, level complexity uh, on, in the whole chain, which is probably one of the reasons why this is slow to progress. Do you believe that if we don't make the changes that eventually these two paths will diverge too much? I was trained as a medical doctor and I, I, I did a PhD in, in medicine and, uh, and medical informatics. And uh, I was also trained as an epidemiologist. So I have a pretty good view on how evidence-based medicine works and also how it doesn't work. There's these studies that 50% of prescriptions aren't actually like the right one for the patient is prescribed to, which is again, a completely understandable problem considering how evidence-based medicine works with free text publications and meta-analyses and guidelines, like there's so much filtering and, 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 and lag and lack of raw data that it's hard for, to make the exact right choice for the individual. That is a problem we slowly want to get away from, right? So making data more important, getting data more to the forefront and being able to make more individualized predictions that take more aspects of human life into account is the way to, I think, improve evidence-based medicine. So I fear if we don't make progress, uh, at all here, we'll be stuck in a world where we think we're doing an excellent job in, in you know, applying evidence-based medicine and following guidelines. And yes, we will be following the guidelines. The guideline will just be wrong and we just wouldn't know about it. And that's, I think, just not an acceptable state, right? I think it's uh, obviously all the drug manufacturers and the medical device manufacturers, they feel like the way to increase the human health span is by you know, better drugs, more drugs, better medical devices which in part is true, of course, but I think actually, if you look under the hood, the biggest impact we can make is prescribing what is already on the market to the right people at the right time. And I think that's where we can make a much bigger jump. Um, these are commercial companies, so that's not necessarily in their best interest, but I think society and, and, and uh, humanity as a whole should realize that there's a huge opportunity there. And so I think we need to, as, a, as, a, as humanity, continue to drive the agenda forward to to not only make the drugs and the devices better, but also the entire process that sits underneath that and it ultimately determines what is being prescribed to who. And that's, that, that's really a huge opportunity to increase the human health span um, and, and also much cheaper, by the way, um, in the long run. So submitting richer data sets could actually lead to more targeted and precise drug approvals? That's what it's all about, you know, precision medicine. It's, uh, you know, that's, 
that's not the FDA's role, but I think that's why I'm always pushing for accessibility and, and reusability of raw data, because I think if we can train algorithms based on a much wider range of data sets from, from studies from all across the globe, we could do much better when it comes to more precision medicine approach for, for individuals. But we are going to have to rely on technology to do that for us. Like you cannot capture that in a flowchart. That is going to have to be a prediction model that is embedded in an EHR system uh, that does that. But that is the future. How does real-world evidence play into this conversation? More and more, I think we'll start to see the shift there again, because we want to get a better assessment on actual impact on human life and not as much in, in this super rigid context. And uh, I think the biggest impact will be after approval, because it's just much easier to conduct studies than at a large scale when, when it's already been proven that a drug is at least safe and, and, and to an extent uh, effective. I, I think we'll see an enormous increase in the importance of, of real-world evidence and real-world data and sort of real-world data in, feeding into real-world evidence, right? So there's a ton of companies already trying to extract data from EHR systems and turn it into, into evidence that, that supports uh, claims, for example, or you know, proves that you know, this works and that doesn't work. I expect in the next 10 years, we'll see it's become much more important. And, and obviously, the type of data we, we spoke about will become more important there as well, because it's, it's an obvious part of, of real world, right? You know, real world is not, is not a slice in time uh, on some hard endpoints. Real world is you know, continuous data that flows through time that gives you an idea of how someone is doing in their life. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to, to capture that, right? Like it's, a, it's a difficult process, but we're getting there and technology is getting better and better to help us understand you know, this type of data. What would you like a listener of this podcast to walk away thinking about and have as a call to action? Seeing if you can connect with the active working groups that are thinking on this topic and, and collaborating with them to see if your upcoming trial could, could be part of a, you know, a pilot on, on, on seeing what I described, right? This research approach of seeing if we can get more out of the data uh, that beyond the SCTM. So yeah, thinking about how you design your trial, can you make your trial data richer? What kind of data can you capture that better captures you know, human life? And then seeing, do I have a platform and a technology to, to, to express that data as well? And, and get it, can I get it to someone ultimately that can analyze that and, and, and make sense of it? Um, and that's why I think it's important to connect with these central working groups because they will know the right people to help you with that. Um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a great first step. You know, we start small. What are the hurdles to moving towards this? It is definitely effort, and it is probably ultimately comes down to funding, right? I mean, if there's this core requirement that they need to deliver against, and if there's no no budget to um, to hire people and to train people and to spend time on this, then obviously it's not going to happen. And so, uh, yeah, that that is completely understandable, and uh, that's why these things are so hard. You know, that's why innovation is difficult because. We just want to get our job done, and then who's going to do the the, innovate, the innovative bit? Um, but I think it's worth making sure that there's some budget available for those initiatives so that we keep going forward. Thank you so much, Dirk, for taking the time to explain your thoughts on STTM. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Again, Dirk Arts is founder and CEO of Castor. For more information on PharmaTalk Radio podcasts, you can visit theconferenceforum.org. Thank you all for listening.